I'm Taylor, and you are listening to the Hopeless Sports Mantic Podcast. So the story of the sports world the last week and a half or so, I think, can be summarized by two words, injuries and controversy. Where I get that from, the NBA playoffs, largely due to the rushed and somewhat shortened season, uh, 72 games to be exact, has been riddled with injuries. Anthony Davis was out for the Lakers. Kawhi Leonard just went down in game four in the Clippers Jazz series. Joel Embiid has been battling a torn meniscus throughout the playoffs. Even Trey Young seemed to have some issues with his shoulder in game four. And there's been plenty of other injuries to go around sprinkled in. Not only, not only are we having some of these, I guess, catastrophic season ending injuries, but there's, it seems like nobody is truly a hundred percent healthy. Guys are constantly battling through it. You're constantly testing players, pain tolerance. And some of these teams that have really played it safe with load management. I look at the Clippers and aside from Kawhi flaring, uh, flaring up his knee injury, they've really been consistently consistently the most healthy team that's been around most of this season now. A lot of teams, obviously, given the roster that's in L.A. with PG and Kawhi, Marcus Morris, there's not a lot of teams that really have the depth to use load management to the degree that L.A. has, but it's still something that, if given the opportunity, I don't disagree with the team taking advantage of that. It's really shown that playoff seedings aren't really seeming to matter at this point with how teams are struggling to stay healthy. Philly is the one seed. Atlanta is the five seed. Yet this series is tied 2-2 as we head into tonight's game in Philly, largely because Philly has been limited by injuries. Granted, Atlanta also is missing DeAndre Hunter, who's probably the second best player and the best per, by far the best perimeter defender on the Hawks. And so that's kind of limited them somewhat, but I'm definitely not going to sit here and say that he is as value to his, as valuable to his team as Joel Embiid is. I don't think there's a guy outside of Nikola Jokic that single-handedly was able to carry his team at times down the stretch with outside of Seth Curry, obviously given that makeup, there's not that much. There's not really any, isolation guys that you can say here's the ball go get a basket in a key situation outside of Embiid he is that guy everybody else on that roster although they're talented players Tobias Harris I think is extremely underrated they very much rely on rhythm buckets and playing off of Embiid they aren't really ever the Embiid is when he is on the floor 100% of the time is the focal point of their offense and I think is kind of caused the knee injury to flare up and then the controversy side of things which we'll talk about in a later segment of the show is 
the MLB has decided to finally crack down on foreign substance use that has been pretty rampant the last couple of years in baseball and has mainly become an issue in this during this season. Players who are caught using a, some kind of foreign substance, whether it's pine tar, rosin, rosin and bullfrog, anything like that, they will receive a 10-game suspension. So if you're a starter, you're going to miss two starts coming from that suspension. And teams and umpi- umpires are going to be able to check players for foreign substance eight to ten times a game. So I don't really see, especially with the use of cameras, which has been indoctrinated and innovated by the Houston Astros, I don't see a team being able to get away with or a player being able to get away with the use of foreign substances. Now, why is this controversial? This really boils down to are pitchers using it to grip the ball or are they using it to improve their spin rate, which then makes pitches have more movement and makes them harder to hit. And, the this is this is truly a fascinating issue where I'll give you my opinion on it later where it's this is not a hitters versus pitchers issue like you would anticipate this is very much there's there's no real consistency here you whereas with something like bat flips and kind of the let the kids play mentality that's very much aside from a few anomalies like cc sabathia it's very much a pitchers versus hitters mentality or even an older generation and boomers versus a new generation gen z issue whereas with with this foreign substance controversy going on it's you it it completely depends on who you talk to nick castellanos as an example talked about how rampant it is and how it's ruining the game because of the lack of offense. And you have Pete Alonso, who is also a hitter, very much a power hitter. One of the, given the fact that he's in the biggest market in the league, right? And he's on kind of the second fiddle team in New York, if you want to say that, although the standings don't show that at this point, he's, believes that it's a safety issue for the hitters to not allow this because he's in firm belief like those that support allowing these substances that it's used for nothing more than getting a better grip so that the pitchers can control their pitches and he worries for his own safety with how especially with how velocity is skyrocketed in recent years that if a guy can't control his pitches, then that's going to ultimately hurt the game more because you're going to see some of the better players take some pitches to the face or pitches to more other vulnerable areas like the hands and wrists, which can put players out for extended periods of time. So we'll get to that later. But first, I kind of want to do a bit of a run through of the current look outlook of the postseason given that we're kind of at the midway to kind of two-thirds of the way point through the conference semifinals in that regard so obviously 
Phoenix with the amount of depth that they have and Jokic basically carrying Denver through this season with Jamal Murray being out and some other injuries to that Denver squad. Phoenix has made the clean sweep in that series and they are moving on to the Western Conference Finals after being a team. I I was very high on them given how they were able to finish out the bubble with Devin Booker really taking on the challenge in that situation very well. And then the biggest reason and the biggest guy that I correlate their success to is inserting Chris Paul into this young team. Now I've talked before about how I value Chris Paul as top five, top three, probably I probably at this point would consider him the second best point guard in the NBA behind Damian Lillard solely because of the amount of value that he's able to add to his team through leadership and through intangibles and his ability is to pass the ball and play great perimeter defense as well. But this is definitely not what I expected to happen. I truly expected LA to make a very strong run out of the Western Conference. Even with them being the seventh seed and Phoenix being the two seed, I did not expect Phoenix to dominate that series the way they did solely because, excuse me, LeBron James was involved in that series in some way, shape, or fashion. And I did not expect some of these other role players to make the kind of leaps and jumps in their skill level heading into this season. This is not a this is not a, the OKC team that Chris Paul piloted for that season. This is not a band of misfits that he's doing everything he can just to keep games competitive. This is a team that has pieces. This is a team that's really improved their depth and does and the coaching staff has done a great job led by Monty Williams to allow them to play to their strengths. This is a team that shoots very well. They're very young. They play with quickness. They play good team defense in the half court sets, but they can also create turnovers and score in transition. If you want to play with a fast pace, this is they, they adjust very quickly and you have to constantly be throwing different looks at them and different guys have to be contributing for you on offense in order for your team to be successful. You you can't rely on one single player to take over a game against this team because their team defense is just too good and they swarm to the to the ball handler too quickly. It's it's kind of reminds me of a of a Georgia defense or an Alabama defense in football where it's almost like a nose to the ball mentality and the, the shots are constantly contested and guys are constantly having to maneuver around multiple defenders in order to finish at the rim. And that's, that's what you need in playoff basketball. So if this Phoenix team wins the finals, I will be extremely, I will not be surprised and I will be extremely supportive of this Phoenix fan base given the kind of turmoil that they've dealt with ever since that seven seconds or less offense departed over the course of a few years. And it's been quite a while and I'm sure they're happy to experience that kind of success. Now we'll uh, stay in the West here and talk about the Clippers versus Utah series. It's currently tied up 
two to two, but towards the end of game four, we saw Kawhi Leonard injure his knee and it's looking like he is going to miss game five, if not the rest of the series. So this is really, really a situation where Paul George needs to prove the doubters wrong. He needs to show that he is playoff P and not pandemic P. We've seen him come through at certain situations in this postseason, not necessarily taking over, but doing what needs to be done and hitting key shots. I still haven't seen a lot of the killer instinct and kind of alpha mentality that I want to see out of him, but he's he's still a, he's he's a little bit too passive still, but I th- I'm curious to see if Kawhi being out kind of opens the door for him to take over. And I, I don't worry as much about how the LA defense is going to handle losing Kawhi because they've already got a tremendous amount of defense with the fact that Utah has an offense that very much runs through Donovan Mitchell and I think Paul George is the if 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 this is going to limit LA outside of Kawhi's scoring ability, we'll have to see how if if they have Paul George match up with Donovan Mitchell or if they bring Marcus Morris or Patrick Beverly over to try to limit his capabilities because you understand that Paul George is one of the better defenders in the league and has shown the ability to really slow down even some of the best players at times. But at the same time, playing top-notch defense on a guy can put some wear and tear on you, even with the load management that L.A. has shown. I think on an individual game basis, it can cause a guy's offensive production to fall off a little bit when he's constantly trying to guard the best player at the same time. So I am very interested to see what Tyron Lue's game plan is heading into game five of this series in Utah, where a little bit less depth with the altitude that's in Utah. LA is really going to have to get out to a hot start and have a bit of cushion there because I think with Kawhi out and with that altitude, I think we're going to definitely see some fatigue from this LA team down the stretch. And maybe you even wonder if the load management has limited some of the conditioning so if i'm utah i'm pushing the pace i'm going to take advantage of the shooters that i have with donovan mitchell obviously but you've got joe ingles and you've got rudy gobert's ability to rim run in transition so that's definitely something that i look for them to do to keep it from being some of these really good defenders on la from being able to match up with their the guy that Tyron Lue wants them on in a half-court set. Now we head over to the East where the most recent game was last night between Brooklyn and Milwaukee. Milwaukee had a very large lead. They led at 17 at one point and looked like they were in firm control of the game. Although the only the only kind of warning sign for the comeback that ensued last night led by Kevin Durant's ridiculous performance was 
how much Milwaukee was really dependent on three-point shooting throughout most of this game with the... It's just... I understand that's how the modern NBA is now because it's of the efficiency involved in getting the extra point from the shot as the analytics support, but I still would love to see Giannis and even Chris Middleton attack the rim more because there's not really any names on that Brooklyn team that you look at and worry about them as a rim protector. Maybe Blake Griffin's somewhat revival makes them worry about him a little more and KD they maybe they think can play both ways even with I mean putting up the triple double with I think he had 40 points and something like 17 assists I I I think it's a lack of adjustments from Mike Boonholzer and it's kind of a shame to say that as a Hawks fan, this is something we've kind of seen in the past and why Bud has the reputation for being a regular season coach. Brooklyn, even with Harden, even with Kyrie out and Harden played, but other than ball handling somewhat, he wasn't really there. He was really struggling with his shot. He wasn't driving at all with how much that hamstring is bothering him. So this was basically the Kevin Durant show like we would expect to see in OKC. And so that's 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 as clean cut, that's as black and white as your game plan defensively is going to be against the team that's supposed to have a crazy amount of depth and is supposed to be pretty unstoppable on the offensive end. That was a key opportunity for Milwaukee to steal a game on the road, which given kind of the fatigue that's taken place and how the injuries continue to pile up for Brooklyn, I still won't be surprised if this goes to seven games and I definitely think that the somewhat lackluster performance from Giannis is something that they can still overcome. He was kind of lucky that last night's game wasn't an elimination game because that's otherwise this for sure really hurts his legacy. Giannis obviously was heavily criticized for going for staying in Milwaukee, staying in a small market instead of kind of going out. This is just kind of funny to me how much the league has changed. He was criticized for staying in a small market and trying to win there rather than go to a big market and try to ring chase with other superstars. Funny how that's just how the league has changed and how the narratives have shifted with, the normalization of super teams at this point and how you need somewhat of a super team to win a championship when everybody is fully healthy. But Milwaukee really needs to, obviously it's elimination game. You're at home. You've, they've really got to lean on this crowd in Milwaukee and Giannis needs to, 
take over in this game like Kevin Durant did in last night's game if they want to have a shot at coming out of this series, which I think I think these next two games, if if they're able to squeak out a win and if they're able to win game six, this is their biggest test. This is an off a team with a ton of offensive firepower and a team that has a ton of talent and a team that they don't necessarily match up very well against Philly very much runs through Joel Embiid and is very in works as an inside out kind of offense around him and Milwaukee, given the size and athleticism and length that they have, isn't going to be disrupted by that nearly as much as a team like Atlanta is in this series. I think they match up. I think Milwaukee matches up with Philly a lot better than they do against Brooklyn. So this is their shot right now to show that they are a team that's can overcome the fact that they're a small market. They're with with the injuries to Brooklyn, it really kind of limits them. And Atlanta Atlanta's in the same situation. These teams that you you kind of see as the A tier teams, while Brooklyn and LA coming into this season, and both LA teams, I should say, come in as the as those S tier teams. With the injuries to these teams that's kind of leveled out the playing field. And some of these teams, although they're in Atlanta's case, a lot of us in this fan base are just happy for them to be there and get the valuable playoff experience. This is a chance for these teams to take advantage of a golden opportunity to perhaps, I guess, steal a finals championship. Now, Phoenix right now is the heavy favorites with the sweep of Denver, but it will be very interesting to see how this news of CP3 being in COVID protocol affects anything. Obviously, if you're in Phoenix now at this point, it's not as much about who wins as much as it is you want this game to go to seven games so you have as much time for Chris Paul to go through the procedures in COVID protocol now. I'm assuming that most of the players are vaccinated. I think it's kind of ridiculous at this point to continue with the COVID protocol, but that's beside the point. And it just throws yet another curveball into the kind of chaos that's occurred in this postseason. Now, to to, to finish out this segment, I want to give my take as to how I feel about all of the chaos going on now. I know this is kind of coming from, I guess a more established, more savant mindset. I really enjoy the parody that's coming out of this and how it's not clear cut at all. Who's going to win the championship. Like it's been, the past few years now. I mean, we look at previous years when Cleveland was swept by Golden State. The only question was who was Golden State going to manhandle in the finals because that team was that much more dominant. We saw 
LA and Cleveland play each other or Golden State and Cleveland play each other multiple times. LA was the obvious favorite in the bubble last season and they came out on top and a pr- series that was pretty one-sided and became even more one-sided after the injuries really knocked the wind out of Miami's sails. So to throw in some of these smaller market mid mid markets into the postseason is honestly a breath of fresh air. Obviously as a Hawks fan, I'm excited that this is a team that we're finally getting national media attention in a sport that's not football and especially not college football. I really love that Trey Young is getting the exposure that I believe he is extremely overdue for. And I really feel that Phoenix is in the same way and I know is the same way with Chris Paul and Devin Booker. And I know that Utah is the same way with people coming to the realization of how good Donovan Mitchell truly is. So it's, it's something new. And I think given the marketability and the capability that the NBA has in these situations, I think this is a great opportunity to, actually grow the sport even more and allow some of these teams that don't get as much national media attention to flourish. And ultimately I think create opportunities for players and free agency. I know I'm obviously saying this as a Hawks and as a team that's kind of struggled to bring in free agents and, but the only way I think this could have been better to really level out how small markets are able to giving them a chance to bring in free agents is if Dallas could have squeezed out game seven against LA because Dallas is another team that's developed talent extremely well and drafted very well. They just struggle with getting over the hump because Dallas is first and foremost a football town like Atlanta and free agents are not really looking at from a basketball perspective, wanting to go to Dallas if they want to grow their brand and impact not only the game itself, but what they can do for their friends and family off the court. So overall, I think it'll take time for us to see the full effects of it, the full positives that come out of it, maybe even free agency down the line a few years from now, but I think overall this showcase for some of these smaller market teams is an overall positive for the NBA for its long-term success.